This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, I'm Philip C with Shazana Mokhtar and Anwar Mabud and this is The Morning Run. It is 7.06 Thursday, the 14th of December 2023. In half an hour, we'll be diving into what transpired in the final hours of negotiations at the COP28 summit in Dubai. But first, let's recap how global markets closed yesterday. It was a very good day across US markets last night. Dow, the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq are all up 1.4%. However, the Asian markets, uh, Nikkei closed up 0.3%. Hang Seng was down 0.9%. The Shanghai Composite was down 1.2%. SCI was up 0.1%. And our very own FBM KLCI was up 0.1%. As you said just now, US markets doing extremely well on the back of the recent decision by the Fed. But joining us for insights into what's moving markets, we speak to Vishnu Varathan, Head of Economics and Strategy at Misuho Bank. Good morning, Vishnu. The Fed kept rates on hold last night as expected, but the attention really was focused on the dot pot projection, right, of 75 basis points by 2024, wasn't it? Yes, good morning. Yeah, you, you could say that. And also, it was focused a lot on the press conference after where Jerome Powell, you know, leaned into the more dovish dot plot and, you know, gave a sense that the Fed was going soft. So like you rightly pointed out, the dot plot now has an additional 50 basis points of cuts. So if you think about it, they just went back to where they were in June. But now we are at 75 basis point cuts because the final hike for the year that was indicated in September did not come through. Uh, I, I think the, the really important parts that markets focused on, they already knew that Jerome Powell had shifted his view to think that rates are now in well into restrictive territory rather than just being restrictive. Also, in the statement, they inserted that, you know, determining the extent of any further tightening. Whereas, per, uh, you know, earlier they didn't have that any reference which means the base case of a hike uh, was removed. For us, though, the more esoteric allusion, I think one that's important that came through was uh, when Jerome Powell was asked by a reporter on his views on the you know, more difficult last-mile disinflation, he, he actually took a step back and, and you know, suggested that maybe the last-mile disinflation is not going to be difficult because the evidence so far suggests mm. that uh, disinflation is on track. So I think that's why markets got really carried away to your point about a good day in the markets. That's right. And usually my true love would give me two turtle doves. But this Christmas, the markets were gifted with 12 doves in the guise of FOMC members. How long is that bullish run going to be? Well, so, and I'll be the first to say, that, you know, we were wrong in thinking that the Fed would push back a little bit on overdone exuberance about pivot, whether intentionally or inadvertently they actually leaned into it. And that to us suggests that, you know, the, the so-called centre rally might still be in place. And I expect this may have some legs left in it in January on account of uh, expectations that PCE will continue to come in soft. So markets will think, OK, inflation is still dropping and the Fed is going to be really pumped about this. And so they're going to be more likely to cut, which is why in the you know OIS pricing, we saw the probability of a March cut going from somewhere in the ballpark of uh, slightly less than 50% to, you know, well over 80%. So now markets are are veering towards saying that, you know, uh, a March cut is almost a done deal. Vishnu, I think what I'm wondering is, 
And I suppose economists will be looking at this moving forward. But how exactly did the U.S. economy manage uh, to see this tick down of inflation without also impacting unemployment? Because unemployment forecasts appear little changed into 2024 and 2025. How have they managed to navigate this? No, that's a really good question. And I think economists are probably scratching their heads a little harder than most other observers on this. And I think Jerome Powell interestingly alluded to this during the press conference, and he said something to the extent uh, or, or, you know, to the tune of saying, you know, there was a suspicion that it would be possible to achieve this so-called immaculate disinflation because of the quirks of the post-pandemic cost surge. Mm. Uh, So without Mm. saying it, what he's saying is, yes, we may have been wrong on transitory inflation, but folks, you know, if you if you you know broaden the horizon, some aspects of it did turn out to be transitory. So, you we, the the disinflation did come about quite well once the bottlenecks and all the kinks were sorted out. Vishnu, the U.S. dollar's rapid rise against Southeast Asian currencies seems to have abated over the past month. Now, are we starting to see dollar strength reach its peak in this region? I, I think you know dollar strength really peaked last October. That was the peak dollar. What we were wary of was a dollar that's not going to go down without a fight, so one that would remain sticky. It does look from like the overnight move that you know that the dollar might have a, a clearer leg down, uh, although not quite free falling. And I think the jury is out because the question for us today ought to be whether the ECB also mirrors the Fed in taking a step back from the hawkish stance. In which case, the euro will fall, which might you know, indirectly support the dollar. So that's worth watching later today. And the latest Bank of Japan's Tankan survey, which measures economic conditions, saw business sentiment improve more than expected among large manufacturers. Are there particular factors causing the Japanese economy to outperform North Asian countries, especially China? I think one aspect of it might have to do uh, with the drive into AI and the nascent bottoming that we're seeing in semiconductors. So this is probably coming through uh, quite positively for Japanese manufacturers. To some extent, and, 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 I, and I will be the first to admit this is a very mixed factor, it's got both positives and negatives, but to some extent, at least the first leg of weakening in the yen also would have helped. And I think the global manufacturing sector as a whole bottoming, uh, with investors growing a little bit more uh, confident about Japanese domestic prospects, which also sees uh, fund flows into Japan, these Factors have conspired to, uh, I think, add to some recovery in sentiments in Japan. But I think the BOJ will be the first to say they're not quite out of the woods and, and they're quite careful about how the ongoing recovery takes shape. I think speaking of recovery, can we turn our attention to what's coming out of China and the direction that um, China's leaders are looking to take, especially in the new year, in order to boost the flagging economy there? Well, I think, you know, we can take a half full, half empty version of it. Uh, the half-full version is China is quite rightly focusing on, uh, you know, pursuing uh, technological gains, uh, productivity, innovation, particularly in the high-tech sector. They're doing this out of, uh, you know, pragmatic reasons such as surviving the sanctions. But also, I think it addresses the problem that uh, with the demographic decline, the only way they can get growth up is via productivity gains. Mm. That said, it does not address the underlying confidence deficit that we remain very worried about. Uh, and, and I think that's the disconnect uh, between uh, the longer term structural improvement that they're trying to get uh, take shape, but they're not quite getting the 
the the key ingredient for growth multiplies, which is confidence uh, by backstopping the property market or reassuring investors uh, more generally and, and and entrepreneurs more generally about uh, you know regulatory stability and so on and so forth. Mm. Let's circle back to India. Now, India's CPI rose at the fastest pace in three months in November, which means that the inflation rate remains above the RBI's target of 4% for the year. Does this mean India's central bank is going to have to hike rates past its present 6.5%? I would say, to oversimplify it, likely not, uh, for, for two reasons. One is, I think where we were uh, with interest rates, uh, you know, the RBI was already fairly uncomfortable uh, looking at, uh, you know, the the, the kind of uh, stress that it would place on, on, on the economy. But now with the Fed less likely to hike further, I think India would probably be trying to ride out this inflation uh, as they're looking towards next year where they expect inflation to stabilise somewhere below, somewhere between, say, four and a half to six percent. Uh, admittedly, that's above target, but I think the RBI will settle for target range, which is four percent plus minus two percent, and really we're going on the plus two percent ceiling. This is going to be the trade-off that the RBI takes. They would much rather have price stability, but I think given the uncertainty, they would not want to go too hard on on, on the rate hikes. And and my my caveat here is that it would take you know distinct rupee instability risks. Uh, for the RBI to make the decision to cross the line on rate hikes. All right. That was Vishnu Varathan, Head of Economics and Strategy at Mizuho Bank. I think giving us a good roundup of the three major Asian economies, but starting the conversation, of course, with the momentous decision by the Fed to maintain rates. But I think the dot plot projection of 75 basis points reflects the optimism for next year. I think you asked a really interesting question about inflation being able to <clears throat> taper down so fast, right? This point about with, immaculate disinflation. Exactly. And without affecting uh, employment rates. I think that's like one of the head scratchers. How have they, why isn't unemployment being affected by the hike in interest rates? And I think that's the point about that actually when we mocked, you know, the Fed about transitory inflation, maybe there was some truth to it that there was actually a transitory nature to that inflation figure. There's still conservatism on the Bank of Japan's side. They will, they are expected to uh, hold hold rates and wait and see attitude first. But also we do see some conservatism as well coming out from India. They will ride out this inflation and wait for inflation to stabilise. I think what you're saying here is that, look, the US is going on a separate course, but rest of the world may not necessarily follow cue, right, to what we've seen happen in the United States. Case in point, China and the debate, of course, Vishnu is asking is the alignment between the US and EU. Indeed. But I think... uh Probably all other economies will breathe a sigh of relief that yes. U.S. interest rate hi- interest rate hikes could have peaked uh, and are set to go down. I think that's a boon for everyone else that has sort of uh, received the fallout from the rise in interest rates, right? Especially I, for the ringgit. Especially for the ringgit, exactly. Can I just flag that I think U.S. stocks... Uh, closed at record highs on Wednesday as a result of the Fed decision. And we also see that Apple shares closed at record highs uh, amid a broad rally in technology stocks. And I think the market cap for Apple is back to above three trillion US dollars, uh, cementing them as the world's most valuable company. As you said, the Nasdaq up 41% year to date. S&P 500 up 23% year to date. Incredible numbers. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. But up next, we'll cover the top stories in the news papers and portals this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast 
from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.